Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. So Father, we want to thank you today as we come to Hebrews 7. Uh, Lord, uh, you've inspired this many years ago. And we believe, Holy Spirit, you wrote these words. And we're just asking that you would breathe upon them. And I pray, Lord, that you would apply them uh, to each of us uh, individually, Lord. Uh, we may need to hear different parts of this particular chapter. Uh, so, Lord, we open our hearts wide. Uh, we open our ears, Lord, to be able to hear what you want to say to us collectively and individually. So thank you, Lord, for each person that um, is dedicated enough to get up this early in the morning. And I believe, Lord, uh, because of uh, their dedication, uh, you are going to want to speak to them and through them later this day. So we thank you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, here we go. Hebrews 7. We're going to talk about an interesting gentleman today called Melchizedek. And he is rather challenging to try to understand him, but uh, we're going to see what the Lord can do to help us on that. 7-1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned the tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem which is king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God, he abides a priest perpetually. Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed are the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. And in this case, the mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them of whom it is witness that he lives on. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise, according to the order of Melchizedek, and not designated according to the order of Aaron. When the priesthood is changed, of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one is officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah 
a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. And this is clear still. If another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. <clears throat> For it was witness of him, thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there's a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and weaknesses, uselessness, I'm sorry. For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath, through the one who said to him, Thou, Lord, hast sworn and will not change his mind, thou art a priest forever. So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. And the former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, on the other hand, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Hence, also, he's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son made perfect forever. Wow, I'm sure you get it all. Uh, I am not going to look at every single verse because I think it, it, it's pretty technical, this chapter. This is, uh, this is a challenging chapter and not always easily understood uh, by others or by me. Uh, so did some research and some studying, and I tried to get the primary thrust Versus getting lost in all the little tiny details. So if I look at chapter 7 as a whole, I believe it's contrasting the traditional Levitical priesthood. Okay. That would be through Aaron. Contrasting the Levitical priesthood with the priesthood of Melchizedek. And we're going to see as we go on through the study, Melchizedek really uh, is a prefiguration of Jesus. And then we're going to see through Jesus, God ushers in a brand new covenant of the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of like an overview. Uh, but let's kind of try to take this apart. So if you look at 7.1, let's start out. Who is this fellow, Melchizedek? For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughtering of the kings and blessed him. So, okay, um, the best way to get a handle on this is to go right back to the reference that we're talking about here with Abraham. So um, I'm just going to go back for the sake of time. You don't necessarily have to do that. But if you want to jot down the scripture, it's in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 18. And it talks about where Abraham and some other people come after they win a battle, and they come upon this fella 
by the name of Melchizedek. And it says this, Genesis 14, 18. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And here it is. Now he was a priest of God most high. He blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tenth of all. So that's the historical reference where we first hear about this fellow, Melchizedek. It's way back there in the book of Genesis. So we know that. Uh, we know also uh, that he is the king of Salem. Uh, and we know he's a priest of the Most High. So he represents two things. He represents a king, and he also represents a priest. Those are two of the primary leadership categories in the Old Testament. You have the priest, you have the king, you have the prophet. So this fellow, uh, and we don't know anybody human per se in the Old Testament that functions as a king and as a priest together. You're going to begin to put the, the pieces of the puzzle together and find out Melchizedek is not just one of us. He's in another category altogether. So in 7-1, we see number one, he is a king, number one. Number two, he's a priest. And if we go to verse two, uh, we can get a little bit of better understanding about those roles. Uh, it says, to, to whom also Abraham, a portion of the tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name. So he's king, okay? It, it, at first it says king of Salem, but really, uh, it means uh, that he would be translated king of righteousness and then also king uh, of Salem, so of peace. So Melchizedek, again, number one, he is a priest. Number two, he's a king. Uh, number uh, three, his name represents righteousness and represents peace. So we're, we're beginning to put it together. So he's a priest. He's a king. His name talks about righteousness and peace. And we're going to look about that righteousness and peace down the road just a little bit. Now we see another factor about this fellow. If you look at verse three, we're told he's without father, okay, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God, he abides a priest perpetually. So the third thing we see beyond his categories and what the names represent is the fact that he's very unique. He has no father, no mother, no genealogy. So the way I would read that is, A, either they kept bad records in those days and they just didn't record all the data about his birth. Um, but I think that seems very unlikely. So if, if the fact is they didn't lose his records, and you try to make sense of this, this person that we're talking about, Melchizedek, has no mother, no father, no genealogy. Now, from what I understand, uh, a human being has to have a father and a mother. This fellow has no father or mother, which means, from at least my understanding, he is not a human being. Uh, and I think if you look at many, many of the scholars as they look at this, they're saying that Melchizedek really is an Old Testament 
presentation of the New Testament Jesus. Let me say it again. Melchizedek really is Jesus in Old Testament form. Uh, we know as you look at through different parts of the Old Testament, there are not a lot of these, but there are instances where Jesus shows up in the Old Testament in some form of a bodily form before actually he's born of the Virgin Mary in the New Testament. Uh, and this would be one of those cases where, in a sense, he shows up, blesses Abraham, but he does that again before actually he was born in the new. I know that this whole thing kind of blows my mind out, uh, and I probably think it would blow your mind out too. So I don't think Melchizedek is just a symbol saying, hey, there's somebody coming like me in the New Testament. I think he actually was a representation, an actual a person who represented and was Jesus in the Old Testament. Now, there was another thing uh, that makes me believe he's not just a symbol and not just a representation of Jesus. It says here, if you look, uh, he says, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Now, the human, we start, folks, right? We're born, we die. This person, Melchizedek, basically it says here, he doesn't have a beginning of days. In other words, he doesn't have a physical place he's born, nor does he actually die, which again, to me, shouts that this person is Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, so really, if I would translate it, although I think the translation is correct, uh, in the actual Hebrew in verse three, it says about this person, like the son of God, I'd almost say it's not so much like the son of God, but, but, but is the son of God. Jesus showing up before he's actually born as a baby in the New Testament. And we're told one last thing about him, about Melchizedek, he abides a priest perpetually. We're told in the very beginning, he's the priest of the most high God. But this other piece is that he's a priest perpetually. In other words, he lives on perpetually as a priest forever, 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 forever. Again, pointing to Jesus. So let's, let's take a look at this whole picture that Melchizedek is in a sense Jesus in the Old Testament. So we're told, number one, uh, that he's a priest, okay, that Melchizedek is a priest, and that he's also specifically a high priest. Uh, and again, this I think is referring to Jesus, that he is a priest, and he is a high priest. And if you look at verse 26, I think this is describing Jesus. Uh, it says, for it was fitting that we should have a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. So again, this whole person that we're talking about, Melchizedek, again, I believe is really referring to Jesus versus the Old Testament Aaron and the Levitical priests. Jesus is bringing in a whole new form of priesthood, uh, and he's a high priest, and he's exalted above the heavens. Uh, we're told uh, that Melchizedek 
His name represents righteousness and it represents peace. Well, I think what we can see clearly uh, that Jesus lives out those names in his life. If you look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, uh, it says with this, we have an advocate with the Father. Here it is, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Okay, Jesus is righteous. And I think we'll see in a little bit, not only is Jesus Christ righteous, he makes you and I righteous by the shedding of his blood. So uh, he is righteous. Uh, in Romans 5, 18, it says this. So then as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life for all men. In other words, through Jesus, through one act of righteousness on the cross as he dies for your sin and mine, he makes us righteous and makes us right with God. So Melchizedek is righteous. He's the king of righteousness, but he's also uh, the king of peace. When Jesus makes us righteous through the pouring out of his blood, he, he makes us at peace with God. Um, in fact, even in the Old Testament, Jesus referred to uh, as peace. If you remember in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, Jesus is given many names. Uh, the Prince of Peace the, and, and the other names, the Wonderful Counselor. But Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. He gives us peace with God. He breaks the barrier of sin, brings us back into communion and fellowship with God. Now we have peace with God, but not only do we have peace with God, we have the peace of God, which is an amazing thing. We did that in our, um, our Roman study on Thursday night, that God gives us this amazing supernatural peace. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's a peace that's undisturbed by the world and all of its craziness and all of its circumstances. So Jesus makes us righteous. He gives us peace with God and the peace of God. Uh, and we know uh, that he does that through all the different ups and the downs of our lives. So, okay, Jesus is a priest, a high priest. Number two, his name represents righteousness. It represents peace. Uh, we're told, as we saw here in the beginning, he doesn't have a father or mother. Uh, and we know in the New Testament, really, that the real father of Jesus is not Joseph, but it's actually God the Father in heaven. So he doesn't really have an earthly father and mother. Yes, he does, but the real father is his father in heaven. And then uh, it said here again that he has no beginning of days nor end of life. That's verse three. And from what we understand of Jesus, he is God, and God has no beginning. God has no end, uh, and he lives on eternally. Again, that describes Jesus to a T, and he abides a priest forever. Uh, and we're knowing right now that he basically uh, is making intercession. Think about that. This very moment, Jesus is a priest forever. He's at the right hand of God the Father. And guess what? He's praying for you, and he's praying for me. If you look at Hebrews 7, 25, hence also, he's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, 
since he always lives, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus is interceding. I can hear him. Father, help this person. Give strength to this person. Father, give wisdom to this person. Father, guide this person. He's the intermediary of the Father, reaching us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So uh, that's Jesus. He is Melchizedek. He's that new form of priesthood. And if you look again, uh, as I said in the beginning, the whole chapter is the contrast between Jesus and Melchizedek and the new priesthood and the old priesthood of Aaron and all of his sons. Uh, so if you look at the other priesthood, the Levitical priesthood of Aaron, we see number one, they all had mothers and fathers. Okay. Um, they had a genealogy. Um, they basically also had beginning and endings. Every one of those priests in the Old Testament was born and they die. If you look at Hebrews chapter 7, 23, and it says in the former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. Every single one of those priests lived, died. And that's, it just kept going on. All these priests could not live forever. They kept dying. Another priest replaced them, replaced them. Another priest replaced them, and it just went on. But Jesus basically uh, does not keep dying on and on and on. Uh, he dies one time specifically for us. If you look at verse 7, uh, 27 of chapter 7, it says here about Jesus, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. The Old Testament priest had to offer sacrifices again and again and again. And the people brought the animals and the lambs, and they would kill the lambs again and again. And the blood was shed again and again and again. It just never stopped. It went on literally for hundreds and hundreds of years, the sacrificial system. But the author of Hebrews is saying that was the old, old covenant. Priests dying, being replaced. Sacrifice is being done over and over and over. But he's driving home the point. But there's a whole new priesthood now, Melchizedek, who's Jesus, who only has to die one time. And when he sheds his blood, it's finished. It's literally finished. It says here at the end of 27. And then for the sins of the people, because this he did once, once for all, when he offered up himself. Once for all. So I think when we get it, uh, I think we see that this new covenant, this new priesthood, this Melchizedek is so superior to the Levitical priesthood. Look at verse 11. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, that's Aaron, okay? For on the basis of it, the people received the law. What further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek, not to be designated according to the order of Aaron? In other words, he's saying, if the Levitical priesthood through Aaron did the job, and all these sacrifices did the job and made us truly righteous, 
you wouldn't need a new priesthood. You wouldn't need a Melchizedek. You wouldn't need a Jesus. And it's saying the Old Testament was basically to show people their sin and their inability to keep the law and literally to drive them to the New Testament priest, Jesus, who was going to be able to die for them. So in a sense, the Old Testament uh, is the idea of do, 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 work hard, do, do, get a sacrifice, do, 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 sacrifice, sin again. And it just went on and on and on and on. Thank God that's not the way we operate as Christians. It's not do, do, do. It's done for us. It's not striving to earn our way to heaven. It's not striving to be saved. It's putting our trust in Jesus Melchizedek, this new priest, to be able to deal with our sin once for all, which he did on the cross. So again, our religion is not do, do, do. It's done. It's finished. It's over. And our religion is based not so much on do, but trusting what Jesus has done in our behalf. Now, to me, the most exciting thing about this whole deal uh, is if you look at uh, Hebrews 7 and 18 and 19 and 22. For it says here in 18, for on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment. Okay. The priest of Aaron is going to go because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. What's the better hope? Look at verse 22. So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Through Jesus' life, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection from the grave, we live under a new covenant. And that new covenant uh, is given to us through the death of Jesus. And how does that become real to you and I? The Bible says you're a new creation in Christ because he died and wiped away your sin and mine. But how does that land? How does the, 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 the plan of salvation land in your life in an experiential way? And here's the beauty of it as I wrap this up. But this is the part that really fires me up is this whole thing we talked about becomes reality and becomes an experience through the third person of the Trinity, through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes all that Jesus did as Melchizedek and makes it real and alive in our lives. Let me give you two scriptures about this new covenant. Uh, first one is in Jeremiah 31 and verse 31 through 33. Here's the new covenant that we just heard about. Uh, Jeremiah predicted, he says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with the fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Now here's the deal. But this is the covenant which I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. I'll put my law not external laws that you have to keep there. He said, I'll put my law on the inside of them. And how does he do it? Uh, if that's the answer is in Ezekiel. 
36 and verse 26. Moreover, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you the heart of my flesh. Here it is. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So how does all come alive to us? Everything that we talked about, the Melchizedek is Jesus who dies for your sin and my sin and then completes that salvation by, it says in the gospel of John, he breathes life into us through the Holy Spirit. Uh, in Ephesians 5.18, it says, be filled by the Holy Spirit. In other words, let the Holy Spirit now who lives in you, who's a person, be filled means let him have control, full control of your life. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, don't quench the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit wants to move, but don't put fire on him. Don't quench him. Don't hold him back. Let him loose when he wants to move. Uh, it also says in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's holy. Don't grieve him. Don't hurt him by the way you think, by the way you speak, by the way you act. Be in sync with him. And uh, the last one is Galatians 5.25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And then Romans 8.14, all are being led by the Spirit, are the sons of God. So let, let me end, make this practical. Uh, and, you know, a lot of this is theology. And quite honestly, I, I, it makes my head spin. It's a hard concept to unpack. Uh, but where this all lands is this thing where it said that we have a new covenant. The new covenant was when the Holy Spirit's in us. Let me give you two pictures. Uh, and I may have mentioned one of them before, but I'll say it again. Uh, Ann Lotz, this is Billy Graham's daughter, uh, wrote a book, uh, and I believe it's called Jesus in Me. And she gave a tremendous picture to me of the Holy Spirit. And she talks about where she loves to walk. And she never liked to walk alone. She always liked the buddy to walk with her. And she describes in the book where she would walk with this person uh, and they'd have a good conversation back and forth. Maybe you've done that with somebody and you're just even forgetting everything. You're just into this conversation. Uh, but she said these people that walked with her, some of them died and then she walked alone. And sometimes people that walked with her changed. They moved out of the area or they did something else beyond walking. And again, she had people she walked with and people when they went away. And she grieved the fact that sometimes she was by herself walking because she so enjoyed the interaction with these friends. And one day she's walking by herself and kind of grieving the fact she has no one with her. And out of the blue, the Holy Spirit said to her, I can walk with you. I want to walk with you. And it changed her whole perspective that she wasn't just walking alone when she took that walk in the morning. She had a great friend, the Holy Spirit. And she began to build an intimacy with the Holy Spirit 
just the way if you would walk with somebody every day, you know, you had a good friend that you walked all the time. Uh, at that point, you would get to know that person. You'd share your life. They'd share theirs. And what Ann Lotz began to see is that not only was the Holy Spirit her friend on right by her side when she walked in the morning, all day long, she could fellowship with the Spirit. In fact, it even says that in one of Paul's benedictions and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So she began to fellowship with the Holy Spirit all day long and have a relationship to listen to him, to share with him what's on her heart. So I love that picture uh, that we have a walking companion with us, not just if we're exercising in the morning, but all day long. The other picture I really am, I just love this. I came across an article uh, and I think the Lord kind of nudge me to pick it up, but it's an old article I came across and it's called Dancing with Jesus. And it really intrigued me when I thought of dancing. I'm not a good dancer, but I know enough to know that the man is supposed to lead the woman in the dance. Uh, and if you want to see some amazing dancing, if you've ever seen <laughs> the Olympics, the ice skaters and the, the choreography, they are so in utter sync that when the man is moving, the woman just kind of moves flawlessly with them. And <clears throat> I began to think about that. And how, do, how does Jesus actually dance with us? And I began to think, I think that's really the Holy Spirit, you might say. Uh, because again, the Holy Spirit is what makes Jesus real and who is Jesus actually living in us and beside us. I began to think, you know, that is the entire Christian life, learning to dance with the Holy Spirit. And it was kind of interesting. Uh, one day I was going to Kathy's church and we were chatting with somebody beforehand. I had read this article about dancing uh, with Jesus earlier that morning. And I was kind of excited about it. So I was talking to this fellow in the parking lot. And just out of the blue, I felt as I was talking to him about that topic, I felt out of the blue, the Holy Spirit said inside of me, join my dance class. And I was shocked. Like, whoa, this is kind of, this is kind of cool. Join the dance class with the Holy Spirit. And I thought, well, this is cool. Uh, I was going to, okay, originally, okay, Lord, I'm going to give you five minutes a day, Holy Spirit. Okay, we'll do a little thing. You teach me how to stay in sync with you. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, no, 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 it's not a five minute deal. It's just every day, just picture your life as a dance with me. And all day long, I'm going to teach you how to stay in step with me. And I think it's exciting. We may not do that perfectly. I'm not a good dancer, but if I practice enough with Kathy, uh, I'm sure Kathy and I can do pretty good. What do you think? Uh, I think, yeah, I mean, you know, if you work at any skills, it develops. And I'm figuring, hey, if I can learn to dance with my wife and that skill can be developed, why can't I learn how to dance with the Holy Spirit? So there's the challenge to you. I do not see Christianity as a burden. Uh, I do not see it as a complex thing. When I, I read Hebrews 7, honestly, folks, is kind of twists my brain around and it, it gets very detailed and I got confused and lost in it sometimes. But if you land Hebrews 7 with the new covenant, which is the Holy Spirit in you, 
your whole Christian life, I think, can be summed up. Learn to dance with the Holy Spirit. He's the leader. All you've got to do as a Christian is when he moves, you move. When he stops, you stop. And that's it. It's just learning his movements, learning his voice. It may not happen overnight, but I believe as we really cry out to God and say, God, I really want to learn to dance. I, I don't want to do my own deal. I want you to lead. I want to follow. I believe that prayer is one that is very pleasing to the Father in heaven. And I believe literally he has no favorites. He will teach you how to dance with him. He'll teach me. And the beauty of it is Jesus is going to get all the glory and all the honor. So let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for Hebrews 7. We thank you, Lord, about the Abrahamic priesthood of try, 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 keep the law, keep the law, try harder, get frustrated, bring a sacrifice, try harder, keep the law, all the struggle. And we thank you, Lord, that um, that was not the only priesthood. You said there's also another priesthood, the priesthood of Melchizedek, the priesthood of Jesus. The priesthood that didn't have to offer a sacrifice over and over and over and over and over again. But that once, Lord, you died on the cross to deal with sin conclusively. And you died, Lord, to bring us to yourself. To bring us into a love relationship, Lord. Every single one on this, this Zoom call, Lord. To bring each of us into a love relationship. But Lord, we know it doesn't even stop there. Because we know, Lord, you live out that love relationship in a tangible, experiential way each day through the Holy Spirit, through the new covenant of your spirit that's in us. So, Holy Spirit, I know you bring the Father, you bring the Son to each of us. You live in us. That's we open the door of our lives to you. So, Holy Spirit, you, you, you be the lead in the dance for us. Teach us how to dance with you the day. Teach us how to stay in step with you today. Uh, and we thank you, Lord, that as we do that, that Christianity is not burdensome. It's not striving. But literally, Lord, it's just resting in your arms of love. Letting you lead us, letting you guide us. So, Lord, thank you for your blessing that rests upon each of my brothers and sisters. Uh, may your face shine upon them and may you shine through them today as we all open our lives to you, Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. You folks have a great day and uh, catch you real soon.